0: That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.
1: This podcast contains adult themes and language, and some of the things that we discuss may be disturbing to some listeners. In this podcast, we discuss sexual assault, torture, race, and murder. Listener discretion is advised.
2: welcome to fruit loops episode <laughs> 179 we tipinoffy bienvenue to bitches thank you so much for listening. Yeah. Now, listen up. Fruit Loops is a podcast about true crimes committed by people of color and the victims that we don't hear or know much about. Contrary to popular belief, not all serial killers are straight, cisgender white dudes. And cisgender is not an insult. It's (laughs) just the way it is. Now, anyway, there are many (laughs) well-documented cases of serial killers of color, and Fruit Loops is a podcast all about them. We will take deep dives into the fascinating lives and crimes of serial killers and true crimes committed by people of color and the victims that the media and entertainment and commonly leave out because listen up the news is racist
1: allegedly (laughs) and we are wendy and beth she's wendy a black latinx woman and i'm beth and i just happen to be white that's right and it is not her
2: fault, and we love her anyway.
1: <laughs> We're not journalists, investigators, or psychologists. Just a couple of gals interested in true crime. Also, the opinions expressed in this podcast are just that, our opinions. Please send any questions or comments to Pod at gmail.com or leave us a voicemail at 602-935-62. Nine, nine four, four. <laughs> <laughs> and we may feature it on a future episode also our website is
2: fruitloopspod.com pod.com and we use fruit loops pod for all our social media the footnotes for each episode can be found on our website plus check it out for the different ways that you can support the show and become a foot loops a foot loops from sorry fruit loops <laughs> patreon oh <laughs> me oh my you can also support us by supporting our sponsors yes now
1: who are we talking about today, Beth? Today, we're talking about Kenyal William Brown, who was charged with a series of murders which occurred in three cities in Wayne County, Michigan, between December 2019 and February 2020. And this episode was researched and written by Minnie. Oh, yes.
2: Now, he traveled far and fast. Yeah. But before we get into it, how are you doing?
1: I'm alright. I had to go to urgent care this morning. Not a big oh, deal. But
2: friend. my
1: eyelid was infected. I had oh, a sty no. uh-huh. last week and then it yeah. went away and then my upper eyelid was starting to get all puffy. And oh, I no. wasn't worried about it. I figured it would go away but then it like spread and like <laughs> my whole all around my eye was all puffy. I was like, oh, oh my no. god. I oh, was just no. worried that like it would like infect my whole head or something. Oh my
2: God. Infect your whole head. Infections are weird like that. So I'm glad you took the necessary precautions and, 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 uh, took care of yourself. Did you get to, you, you didn't have to go back to work. Did you?
1: Oh, I did go to work. Yeah, I feel fine. Are you kidding me? Yeah. Oh, I went to work. Girl. <laughs> I went, I mean, first first thing in the morning I went to urgent care and then I went to work. Yeah.
2: Everybody knows the best part about work is the sick time. Yeah. And you didn't take it.
1: Wow. Well, See, I, that's her
2: that's her that's her white that's, that's 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 my white friend.
1: <laughs> I can't. There's like there's nobody. There's nobody at work. That's oh like, my god. Our staff is like a uh, skeleton. Nothing, bones yeah
2: yeah, yeah, yeah so. I know
1: I know yeah. but you can not have to much. get
2: done <laughs> work will never get you, give you a hug back Beth that's never
1: true. that's true never. but it does give me money <laughs> <laughs> yeah
2: that's a good point. That is a very good point. Now, I was told when I was a child by um, the black and brown women in my life that you get a sty on your eye from watching a dog poop.
1: Oh, geez. I guess I shouldn't have been doing that. <laughs> I've never had one because every time I see a dog poop, you close
2: I, your eyes. I, I turn my head real fast or close my eyes. <laughs> um, So I'm just just putting it out there i mean there's got to be something okay to well i'll stop i'll stop Central American bra- black and brown women are telling
1: me <laughs>
2: <laughs> um all right well i'm glad you're doing okay i cannot yeah, believe you right. went to work i would never <laughs> i would never <laughs> i have a hangnail i can't come in today <laughs>
1: <laughs> but let's get into these listener letters shall we yeah let's do it hello angels Thank you. He
2: went to work after going to urgent care. This girl, I can't believe it. Woo! Okay, everybody. Uh, What's in that bag, Beth? Wow.
1: Well, we got a letter from someone in Ireland.
2: Oh, yes! Yes, 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 yes.
1: she wanted us to try and pronounce her name. And it's spelled, let me tell you the spelling. Okay. It's A-O-I-F-E. Yes. And uh, she gave us the pronunciation, but I'm going to uh, read it how (laughs) I, you know, how I thought maybe... It was, yeah. was pronounced okay. Go, Aoife. <laughs> uh, me too. That's what A- I thought Aoyfie. too. Aoyfie. Yeah.
2: And you know what it reminds me <laughs> of is the name. And another Irish name I think is Siobhan.
1: Yeah. And, and it's, it's spelled, spelled like
2: Sioban. C-O- yes. And <laughs> yeah. I've done a shout out to Sioban <laughs> and called her Sioban, and I believe she is still a supporter of the show. And I'm wow. so sorry, Siobhan. Um, And but I also want to say thank you, Efa. Yeah, it's pronounced Efa. Efa for. Yeah. Um, for setting us straight. Yeah. Um, we do our best to pronounce things correctly. We fail most of the time, but we this totally is very very try. helpful. Yeah. So <laughs> hip hop air horns too are our uh, new. Uh, she's actually a new Patreon. Yeah, Pop that's Play-O. right. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, guess what? <laughs> you, get tune, you get a tune, and you get a tune, and you get a tune. So here goes. Oh no, they're dead. They are dead. Efa, efa, E. Ha. 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 He. Ho. 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 Oh. 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 Okay. Uh Because <laughs> if I hope you like that. <laughs> uh, sorry. <laughs> okay, so we're gonna take a quick break. I'm gonna gather myself together and then get back into the story when we come back. Okay, we are back. Remind us, Beth, who is our subject today?
1: (laughs) Our subject today is Kenyal William Brown, who was the prime suspect in a series of murders that occurred in Wayne County, Michigan. Okay, so we are going to get into some (laughs)
2: astayayayats. Now, Mr. Brown was the person who committed six murders and two carjackings. All of the victims in this case were Black. And so we want to say rest in power to the victims and thoughts and prayers to the loved ones and the community left in the wake of these terrible crimes. So rest in power, kings and queens. Their names are 31-year-old Lauren Haddington, 48-year-old Dorian Patterson, 52-year-old Kimberly Green, 49-year-old Garcius Woodyard, 41-year-old Amir Thaxton, 36-year-old Eugene Jennings, and uh, another victim, 44-year-old Clifton Smith, was shot but non-lethally wounded. So now it's time for the set team. Take us there,
1: Beth. Well, these crimes took place in Wayne County, Michigan, where Detroit is the county seat. We've talked in depth about Detroit before, but as usual, we do want to mention that the land where Michigan sits was originally inhabited by non-Europeans. When the first European explorers invaded, the most populous tribes were Algonquin peoples, who included the Anishinaabe groups of Ojibwe Ottawa, and Potawatomi.
2: Oh, and I'll get into it in in our um, shout outs. But I wanted to say I listened to a really great podcast this week about the trauma that comes with Indigenous Peoples Day. We're recording this the week of Thanksgiving. Right. And they talk about specifically the Indigenous Peoples, like east of the Mississippi, Uh who were there before um, the... Colonizers came, and I will be sure to um, shout that out. All right. So the three nations coexisted peacefully as part of a loose confederation called the Council of Three Fires. Ojibwe, also known as Chippewa in the United States, whose numbers are estimated to have been between
1: 25,000 and 35,000, were the largest. Wow. Mm-hmm. The Ojibwe also inhabited parts of Ontario and Manitoba, Canada, and parts of present day Wisconsin and Minnesota. The Ottawa people lived primarily south of the Straits of Mackinac in Michigan, but also in southern Ontario, northern Ohio, and eastern Wisconsin. The Potawatomi people were in southern and western Michigan, in addition to northern and central Indiana, northern Illinois, southern Wisconsin, and southern Ontario. So they were all over the land there.
2: Yeah. Which makes sense because they were there first for yeah, millennia. It was, it was their <laughs> land. Yeah. Wow. Uh, so other Algonquin tribes in Michigan in the South and East were the Mascotin, the Menomini, The Miami, the Sack or Sauk, and the Meskwaki or Fox. The Wyandot were an Iroquois people in this area,
1: historically known as the Huron by the French. Wayne County was the sixth county in the Northwest Territory, formed on August 15th, 1796. It was named for the U.S. General Anthony Wayne, a.k.a. Mad Anthony.
2: (laughs) Oh, boy. This sounds like a white guy who didn't do good things.
1: (laughs) Okay. <laughs> it was due to his aggressive leadership in combat and fiery personality. Okay. So on November 1st, 1798,
2: Wayne County was divided into four townships of Detroit, Hamtramck, Mickena, and Sargent. At that time, Wayne County included all the present state of Michigan, plus parts of Indiana, Ohio, and Wisconsin. The historic Guardian Building in Detroit is the Wayne County headquarters.
1: Wayne County is the most populous county in Michigan. In 2020, the population was approximately 1,750,000. The largest ethnic groups in Wayne County, Michigan, are white at 49%, black at 38%, Asian at 3%, and Latinx at 3%. What's
2: interesting about those stats, I'm so glad you read them, is that it was 100% indigenous. Yeah. And now look at those numbers. So River Rouge, where Kenyel Brown grew up, is named after, well, the River Rouge, which (laughs) is French for Red River. And it flows along the city's northern border and into the Detroit River. It is a suburb of Detroit in Wayne County. Detroit
1: and River Rouge were situated between the iron ore of the Upper Peninsula and the coal mines in the eastern American States and the industry that drove much of Detroit's growth in the 19th and early 20th centuries relied on the city's waterways for transportation of ore and other goods.
2: And I know that the waterways were important in an American context, but I'm sh- I I believe, and I don't know this. Don't fact check me, but I'm sure the indigenous people were also oh, doing the absolutely. same before
1: that. Yeah, they used it for traveling and stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: It became an intersection of immigration and trade. Detroit's population grew in the 1800s before exploding in the 1900s, an era characterized by immigration, industrialization,
1: and rapid growth. In 1917, Henry Ford began construction on his Ford River Rouge complex. It measured a mile and a half wide and a mile long. Mm, Wow. Yeah, it's big. (laughs) Mm -hmm. To support such a massive effort, Ford dredged and channeled the Rouge River to the Ford plant, fundamentally altering the landscape and creating Fordson Island in the process. Wow.
2: Created a whole island in the name of capitalism. My son was doing a project on um, Henry Ford, (laughs) Babe Ruth, and Lucky Lindy, and I was like... (laughs) Oh, Henry Ford. My, my son was like, uh, he was doing a presentation. He revolutionized the assembly line and right. uh, the quick construction of things. And I was like, is wild racist anywhere in your text that you are reading? Wild anti-Semite. Uh, is that in there? Okay. Well, then this book is wrong. Anyway, when the River Rouge complex was completed in 1928. It was the largest integrated plant in the world. Mass production on this scale had never been seen before. During the Depression, it employed 100,000 workers. And during World War II, it helped with the war effort by building bombers and tanks.
1: More factories were built and blanketed the banks of the River Rouge. But with all this industrial growth came pollution, placing a lot of stress on the river. Due to a lack of environmental regulation, the factories along the River Rouge polluted the river seemingly without restraint. Mm. In 1965, the Dearborn Guide called the waterway the state's most polluted river.
2: I just, I, I 1965, we knew. <laughs> yeah. We knew. We knew. This was, was not bad. good. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, so in 1969, a construction worker accidentally dropped a torch on the river, about 3,000 gallons of of oil had accidentally spilled (laughs) from the Shell Oil Company refinery. Oopsies, didn't know we couldn't do that. And the torch ignited the oil. The flames rose 50 feet in the air. (laughs) Wow. That is so terrible. No big deal, though. No big deal. Before the Clean Water Act in 1972, rivers catching fire were quite common and nobody seemed
1: alarmed. Oh, the river's on fire. No big deal. Is
2: anybody else paying attention? What the (laughs) fuck? (laughs) Oh, my God. Wow. I'm so ashamed of us. (laughs) I know.
1: I know. (laughs) Before 1985, little action was taken by the government or industry to clean up the river. Dissolved oxygen in the river declined and wildlife biodiversity lessened. Migratory patterns of birds were disrupted as fish species died out.
2: Another problem people yep. should have been alarmed. They they should have known <laughs> and better. And I'm certain if they had listened to and respected the indigenous people who had been there before, they would have told you all this was coming. You know yeah. this. This yeah. isn't us. This should not be a surprise. But however, things changed after a man fell into the Rouge River, contracted rat fever. That doesn't sound good. No, an infectious disease caused by bacteria, and he died. The health department then warned the public to avoid the river. The Department of Natural Resources and the Michigan Water Resources Commission began pushing for strategies to clean up the river.
1: By the 1990s, the price tag for cleaning up the river had come to. billion. In the 90s. Wow. Two billion dollars. Yeah. For cleaning up the river when had they been not polluting the river in the first place. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Right. You know. Yeah. And that's our tax dollars. Yeah. 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 You're absolutely right.
2: And I think people, you know, industry is like, we gotta make all this money and pre- keep producing all this stuff and all these factories, but that you can also create jobs and environmentally sound jobs that employ people to fix this stuff or make yeah. this stuff better and safer for the yeah. environment and for the human beings who inhabit this earth. But we don't have to pollute <laughs> bill. Yeah. Billionaires are really, uh, I just, I'm so they disgusted from with them after, especially behind the bastards. And yeah. Oh, they're just yeah, awful. Awful. And this is evidence of their work.
1: Yes. But in twenty thirteen, the beaver, which once populated the area in the millions, but had been declared extinct from it more than a hundred years prior, had returned. Wow. Look yeah. at that. Okay, so that's
2: that's some progress. That's that doesn't yeah. happen
1: without people working together
2: and working hard. Yeah. Um so in 1986, only 6 kinds of fish were found and more than half were sick. In 2015, they found 13 species and 353 individual fish. What? Just 350? I know. That wow.
1: is abysmal. <laughs> However, I know, but it's better. It's better than 6. <laughs>
2: Of, you know what? You're right. You're right. It is. She's right. Absolutely. She's. You know what? Round of applause for Beth because she is absolutely right. It is. 353 is way better than six. However, health officials say the water is still contaminated and could be dangerous for
1: anyone to go in it. The city had its peak of population in 1950, when industry was still the mainstay of the local economy. But restructuring of heavy industry and movement of jobs offshore have resulted in large population loss. Yeah. Too big to fail, right? Yeah. Um, So in 2015, the population
2: was less than half of what it was in 1950. Many workers who had the flexibility to seek jobs elsewhere moved away, which resulted in a shift in the racial demographics of the city as it became less white and more black.
1: And if you take a Google street walk in River Rouge, you'll see it looks similar to other places in Detroit where lived in houses sit next to boarded up houses or empty lots where fires may have burned out previously inhabited homes. It looks like the Detroit fires, which we talked about in episode 171 about James C. Brown, mm-hmm. were raging in this area as well. Yes. Um, I just watched a
2: movie that took place in Detroit called Don't Bre- Breathe. Have you seen hmm. that one? A horror movie? No. It takes place I, I don't in Detroit. Really watch horror.
1: Oh. What? Yeah, well, you love true crime. I'm confused. Anyway. I, uh... <laughs> <laughs> I think because it, it gives me too much uh, anxiety. I don't know. Oh. Interesting. like just watch it just w- while I'm watching it
2: yes and true okay.
1: crime doesn't for whatever reason
2: wow this is my weird friend everyone I, I know she goes weird to, weird She goes lady. to work after going to <laughs> urgent care and she, and she can't watch horror she can't she watch loves horror crime. yeah and <laughs> she has Preet Barara's name tattooed on her belly and cuddles <laughs> with a John Douglas pillow every night this Max. is this is our OG Yes, this is our OG of true crime. So now we're going to get into the early life of Kenyell William Brown. So Kenyell Brown was a black man and he was born on July 3rd, 1979. So he grew up and went to school in River Rouge. And we didn't find much specific detail about Ken Yell's childhood home life, but a childhood friend who grew up with him remembers him as a gifted athlete with a serious drug habit.
1: Doing drugs. Doing drugs. <laughs> <laughs> Quote, he was a star basketball player on the street and at the Beechwood Center in River Rouge. He was the best, but he had a bad cocaine problem. He went to prison, and we never saw him, even after he was paroled. Unquote.
2: By the time the murders in the episode occurred, Brown had grown to stand five foot eight inches tall, and he weighed about one hundred and seventy to one hundred and eighty pounds. Uh, so now it's time to dive into the timeline. Splish splash, take uh-huh. us there, Beth. In
1: 1997, at the age of eighteen, Brown was convicted of carrying a concealed weapon and felony assault with a dangerous weapon. In 1999, the now, twenty-year-old Brown was convicted of fleeing a police officer, and on a separate occasion of attempting to illegally use a taser. So he's he's running wild in the streets out there. He, yeah, he's he's what we say, uh, wilding. Yes, he's wilding. Yes, <laughs> it
2: was the nineties. <laughs> From 1997 to 2000, Wayne County court records show that Brown entered plea deals in six cases. In 2000, Brown, now 21, was convicted of fleeing a police officer. That same year, Brown was charged with second-degree murder. Murder? Murder. Murder? <laughs> oh murder. Uh, murder? Oh, my God. Uh, murder. Oh, my God. It was murder. Oh, my God. You see this guy? <laughs> you know what reminds me? Remember the bagel boss guy? You're not my boss. You're not my boss. <laughs> <laughs> my God, you're not my father. You're not my murder. Uh So with a second degree murder and four vehicle
1: related felonies in a River Rouge homicide. In a plea deal, he got the second degree murder charges dismissed by pleading guilty in January 2001 to felony charges of fleeing and eluding a police officer.
2: Do you see that? The career and existence of a police officer is more valuable than the murder that occurred. Yeah. Just let that sink in. It's, pretty disgusting if you ask
1: me. Yeah, it really is. He was sentenced to prison as a habitual fourth offender. According to the Michigan Department of Corrections, he was paroled in 2010 and discharged from parole the next year.
2: According to federal court records, Brown was charged in 2015 with being a felon in possession of a gun after being caught with a loaded pistol. It was his third gun offense. He faced a minimum of 15 years in prison under a then federal law that was designed to punish. punish repeat violent offenders, but no law to fix the problems that lead people to crimes, huh? Okay. Yeah, no, none of that. No, (laughs) just throw them them in jail, throw them in jail and
1: everything will be fine. Uh Uh-huh.
2: Uh-huh. Okay. (laughs) Sweep
1: it under the rug. Yep. All right. But in 2015, the U.S. Supreme Court declared part of the law unconstitutional, a ruling that cut Brown's guidelines to 15 to 21 months. That same year, Brown cut another deal pleading guilty to felon in possession. Brown was sentenced to 21 months in prison, followed by two years of supervised release.
2: And I don't know, a little spoiler alert, I don't think his time in prison helped him rehabilitate. I don't think so. Nope. So after Brown was released, he failed drug tests and removed his tether during supervised release. His supervised release was revoked and he was placed back in prison. But in July 2017, he was out again. And the violations continued. And the parole violations are actually easier to make than you think. Yeah. I mean, you can't drink. You can't associate with people who um, commit crimes. You can't do this. You can't do that. You can't stay out past a certain time. You have to have a job, which is hard to do because of the and felony box that they make you check on job applications. It's it's easier than you think. Brown was a piece of shit. I'm just saying that
1: easier to violate. Than you think.
2: Yeah. The, yes. yes, thank you. Uh so Brown tested positive for cocaine and marijuana and he missed his drug treatment meetings. Oops. All of this should have landed him
1: back in prison. However However <laughs> <laughs> (laughs) On October 29th, 2019, U.S. District Judge Bernard Friedman held what was supposed to be a sentencing hearing for Brown, who had failed drug tests, got arrested for drunken driving, and missed mandatory meetings, among other things, all while on supervised release for felony convictions.
2: But instead, Friedman released him at the request of a federal law enforcement agency that, for reasons not disclosed, wanted Brown freed. Now, Friedman never mentioned that request in court, Though he did tell the defendant that while he was aware that he quote had a hard time following the law, unquote, he was going to give him a break. There were no objections from the prosecution.
1: Friedman told Brown, quote, stay out of trouble. I don't want to see you again, okay? Unquote. (laughs) That should that should do it, you know? Okay. The judge said. All right. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) brown thanked the judge that same day the detroit police signed brown on as an informant working for a detroit dea task force
0: or wherever fine podcasts are found. Hello, this is Dr. Grande, the host of True Crime Psychology and Personality. On my podcast, I explore and explain the pathology behind some of the most horrendous crimes and those who commit them. We discuss topics like narcissism, psychopathy, sociopathy, and antisocial personality disorder from a scientifically informed perspective. What is a narcissist? How do you spot a sociopath? What signs can you look for to protect yourself from these dangerous personalities? It's not just about the stories, but also the science and psychology behind them. So if you're interested in true crime or mental health, I'd encourage you to give my show a listen wherever you get podcasts.
2: Now, the informant thing is interesting, and I'll get into it more in my takeaways, but I didn't know much about informants Or hadn't thought about it much until we did this case. Right. Um, Because they're paid for by taxpayers. So anyway, less than two months later, on December 7th, 2019, Lauren Harrington, age 31, and the proud father of eight children, was shot multiple times at his home on the 500 block of Beechwood in River Rouge. Lauren died from his wounds.
1: On January 8th, 2020, Brown was identified as the man who had shot and killed Lauren. Knowing the police were now after him for the murder, he began moving around, crashing at various acquaintances' homes, not staying in one place for very long.
2: On January 30th, 2020, Brown came over to Gerald Patterson's apartment where Gerald lived with his brother, Dorian. Gerald later said that he hadn't seen Brown for years. They had been childhood friends, though. But, quote, a few months ago, he popped up out of nowhere and started hanging around my house. He and my brother would sit in the living room drinking beer. There didn't seem to be any problems, unquote.
1: Except for the hanging around drinking beer all the time. Yeah, I
2: mean, (laughs) maybe it was summer Every day in his oh, mind. That was January.
1: Oh, in his uh, mind. Okay. I was it's, say, yeah, it's yeah, January. Yeah. <laughs> well, maybe they Rose. were just trying to keep warm in January. Maybe. Rosé all day, <laughs> except with beer. <laughs> <laughs> that afternoon, when Gerald left for work, his brother Dorian was in the living room with friends Kimberly Green and Clifton Bo Smith, as well as Brown. Gerald later said that they were just partying and it was nothing unusual.
2: Then, quote, later on, when I was at work, I called my sister who told me a whole lot of police are at your house. I called Dorian, and he didn't answer. It's not like him to not answer the phone. So I started to get worried
1: when I got off work. I tried to get into my house and the police stopped me and told me I couldn't go inside because they told me this is a crime scene. Mm. The police asked me who I knew who was wearing an army fatigue jacket. And I knew they were talking about Brown, unquote.
2: So Dorian Patterson, 48, and Kimberly Green, 52, both died of multiple gunshot wounds after being shot in Dorian's apartment. 44-year-old Clifton Bo Smith was also shot in the same incident, but he had been able to get away, flag down a passing River Rouge police cruiser, and direct an officer to the apartment. He identified the shooter as Brown, who had fled the scene. Bo spent some time in critical condition in the hospital, but he survived.
1: Dorian's fiancé, Precious Moore, struggled to understand and cope with the loss of Dorian. She later said, quote, he was a kind-hearted man. He should still be alive, unquote. Kimberly
2: Green worked as a healthcare service provider in Ann Arbor and was devoted to helping other people. She was described as a phenomenal, beautiful woman with a huge heart. Her daughter, Brianna, later said that her mother was in the wrong place at the wrong time. Quote, she just happened to be visiting with friends. She's not connected to Brown in any way. Unquote.
1: The family held a vigil for her during which they lit candles and released balloons to honor her. A cousin, Royce Jackson, who thought of Kimberly as a sister, said, quote, She was an angel. We lost a beautiful soul unnecessarily, untimely, for no reason. Our family is devastated. We want justice. Unquote.
2: Yeah, I, I think um what is what is the word she used this uh unnecessarily is and untimely. What, yeah untimely, senseless. All those things came came to mind when, when yeah. we're looking into this case. Yeah. So on February third, twenty twenty, Detroit police removed Brown as an informant after learning that he was a person of interest in the double homicide and the attempted homicide of Bo Smith. On February fourth, Brown was charged with two counts of first degree murder as well as an assault with intent to murder in connection with the incident. Police intensified their search for him, placing him on Detroit's most wanted list and distributing his information and image through news media.
1: On February 18th, 2020, a woman noticed a white pickup truck running on Church Street when she left her home at about 6 a.m. When she returned home in the evening, she saw the truck was still running. (gasps) Yikes. Yeah. So she looked in the window and saw a man slumped over in the passenger's seat.
2: She called police who came to investigate and discovered that the man was Garcius Woodyard and that he had apparently been beaten to death and left in the running truck. Oh, my God. Some accounts of the incident say that he was shot in the head. So he may have been both beaten and shot. Police believe that while in Highland Park, Brown had killed 49-year-old Garcius. Garcius was from Ypsilanti, a city west of Detroit.
1: Two days later, on February 20th, 2020, 41-year-old Amir Thaxton was working late at the Next Level Custom Tees Shop on the 16,000 block of East 8 Mile on Detroit's east side. Amir was a graphic artist at Next Level Custom Apparel and was the man behind the brand's Gorilla hustle and beautiful hustle. It wasn't unusual for him to work late because he was known for working hard to provide for his three children.
2: Um, This feels like a, m- a moment for Culture Corner so t shirt making is I want to say a staple in black culture hmm. um for business reasons whenever there's a funeral or somebody is shot oh, right. um, or killed early. Their name always goes on a t-shirt. There's always a t-shirt with the pictures of them in heaven. Yeah, and I think it's an easy business to, relatively, um, as far as black people are concerned, because, you know, we can't get loans and stuff like that. But uh, uh, low startup costs and um, easy to produce product and and sell so anyway i just wanted to mention that um it sounds like amir was doing good things in his community um amir was shot inside the store and left to die amir's body was found at about 11 p.m that night police later said amir and brown were acquaintances and the motive behind the murder was likely robbery to add insult to injury
1: brown allegedly
2: stole amir's car after robbing and murdering oh my god what a dick
1: wow yeah Amir was described by his family as a loving father. His family was in shock and struggling to accept the loss. News media interviewed his cousin, Angie Brand, who said that all she has left of him now is a shirt he made for her business.
2: Mm. Yeah. I, I, I feel that I, uh, yeah. that's, that's what I have a lot. I have, I have so many shirts with relatives faces on them. wow um, And uh, I, I get that. So by this time Brown was connected to the other murders as well with wanted info being circulated via news media for his capture. Angie had this to say to him at that time, quote, these are people who have families, a parent, a father, a grandfather, brothers, nephews. You are taking people's family members. How dare you? Unquote. And you tell him, Angie, I mean, we see you and I am glad that you said that because the news media, this is also another um, thing that happens when BIPOC people are killed in a violent way. Uh, The media will um, paint them as bad people, and yeah. so I'm glad and like, some, that somehow
1: Angie, it was their fault.
2: Exactly, and yeah. so I'm really glad that she humanized them in that moment and was brave enough to do so. So, hip hop air horns to
1: Angie. After Amir's murder, police circulated additional information through news media, stating that they had information that Kenyel Brown likes to shoot when he's high or gets angry, so he just likes to to shoot people Mm. i guess Mm. okay u.s marshals also began offering a ten thousand dollar reward for information that would lead to brown's arrest
2: on february 21st 2020 you know what else is striking about this is how close this is to that week we all shut down you know this oh yeah 2020 right yeah so on February 21st, 2020, Brown allegedly carjacked a vehicle at 5 p.m. on Berg Road in Detroit. About 20 minutes later, he allegedly carjacked another vehicle on the block of Braille Street, also in Detroit. Morning, and in South Detroit, <laughs> which isn't a real region because... South Detroit
1: is Canada. <laughs>
2: Next, sorry.
1: <laughs> on February twenty second, twenty twenty, at about 1.45 p.m., the body of thirty six year old Eugene Jennings was found in a vacant building on the twenty block of Minnesota in Detroit. He was also believed to have been murdered by Brown this time over a drug dispute. Eugene was the father of five children, ages two to 14, and was described by loved ones as a selfless man who held his family together.
2: Friends and family held a vigil for him with about 100 attendees at the vacant house where he had been found. They lit candles and released balloons in his honor. Is that the one uh, uh, with the red and black balloons? I don't know if you watched the video. I think I saw the video on the news. Anyway, so Eugene's aunt, Cheryl Johnson, said during the vigil, quote, absolutely senseless. I don't understand it myself, but with the strength of God, we will get through it, unquote. So now it's time to get into the investigation and the arrest.
1: Hit it, Beth. On February 23rd, 2020, in their search for Brown, U.S. Marshals, officers from the Detroit Police department, Michigan State Police, the FBI, and the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, and Explosives zeroed oh, in. That's a my. lot. That is a lot. Well, that is a lot of. <laughs> wow, is all, all that those necessary? Wow. no probably not. But probably each one of them wanted to get the um, the credit. The credit. Oh my credit God! For, do the perk and yeah, the press yeah. conference. Yeah. Oh, yep. It all makes sense now. OK. Yeah. So all of these people zeroed in on a home Sunday in Highland Park. They had received a tip regarding Brown's location, but he was not present at the home. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah,
2: you're not going to get me today. Oh, well, hang on a second, Mr. Brown, because this story is not over yet. So through news media, Detroit Police Commander Darren Zilagi informed residents that they should consider Brown to be armed and very dangerous quote, this subject is wanted for multiple shootings. He's very, very dangerous. And our law enforcement partners, including Detroit Police Department,
1: really need to get this suspect in custody, unquote. News stories and information became more widespread as Brown continued to elude capture. Police said he would refund people and convince them to let him stay at their homes, but that people needed to be wary of him.
2: And, um police said um, police claimed um, the right. police uh, right. provided a lot of the information, the information. that we were reporting on and so you know i don't I, I don't know how reliable they are all the time but okay so they also began to circulate information that they were going to investigate anybody anyone of you who aided brown in eluding capture by then, the information about the $10,000 reward offered by U.S. Marshals for assistance in his capture had been widely circulated as well.
1: So the net's closing. Yes. It's closing in. Yes. Yeah. We're almost done. <laughs> <laughs> On February 24th, 2020, Brown decided it was time to make a visit to an adult bookstore mm. in Oak Park where he'd been kicked out the previous week for doing, doing drugs. Doing drugs. In the so. sex shop. Whoa, yeah, yeah,, uh, so that all of those things, very solid choices, yes, yeah,
2: absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Now, I don't know. Have you ever been to one of those um adult bookstores? Yeah, but with the arcade in it, no, okay, so we used to live <laughs> we used to live down the street for one, and the stench <laughs> inside oh, oh no, is, oh, it no. smells um. Like, they're trying to cover it up with ammonia, uh, but it doesn't really go away. It's disgusting. Uh, yeah, it is. It is really something. Uh, but, you know, uh, I'm all about, tr- I'll try anything once. And I did. <laughs> and I don't need to go back. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
1: So, anyway, uh, the clerk recognized him from the news and from the previous week when he'd caused trouble in the shop.
2: The clerk called 911 to report Brown being in the store. But by the time the police arrived, he had fled. God, this
1: guy is slippery.
2: Yeah, he is. He is. Uh, and he had realized by then that the police were zeroing in on where he was and were after him for with multiple squads and canine search dogs. So he began running through the neighborhood, through people's homes, hopping fences and making his way through their yards trying to hide. Uh <laughs> this is Do you think they had milkshakes in their yards that brought him to, you know, their yards? <laughs> My milkshake brings on the boys Buster to the yard, yard and, and they're, they're like, like, it's better than yours. It's <laughs> like a charge of milk shakes, brings
1: all the the yard. So, um, what do you say, Beth? So, yeah, pretty sure there's no milkshakes in this situation. Damn it! Damn it! <laughs> it to hell. (laughs) So police closed in on him in the backyard on the 20,000 block of Ridgedale in Oak Park, while the owner, a senior citizen and Vietnam vet, watched, stunned, quote, it just sounded like pop, pop, pop along the inside of my fence in the backyard. I saw about 10 police officers. The police just kept coming and coming and coming, unquote. Wow. Yeah, so it turns out that the popping sounds
2: were fence planks being kicked in by police. Whoa. So they, yeah, so they could get into the yard. And I was looking at his his yard at the news report because it was uh-huh. still broken when the news was there. And I was like, I hope that the police department police pays for, for that. that yeah, geez, yeah. Louise. The owner of the house who wanted to remain anonymous wasn't aware that Brown was in his yard hiding under his grandchildren's swing set, <laughs> under the swing set. <laughs> this guy and his
1: choices. I wow. How, how, how are you gonna hide under a swing set? Just like lay there and I, pretend that you're grass.
2: Know. I I don't I don't know because swing I don't know if you've seen a swing set recently, but they're not great they're hiding not, places no, nobody's like I call the swing set on hide and seek because yeah. you would lose you would lose the game if you if you did that so and just, then he lost he did he, he lost. did big time big time and deservedly so because yeah he's a bad he guy people yeah. yeah. <laughs>
1: So can you imagine being the owner of that house, hearing those popping sounds that sound like gunshots and I, watching the police swarm your yard with no, no. idea why? Yeah, no,
2: it, it would be it would be terrifying. And I, I I get scared just thinking about police. So when they're close to me, my my heart would have probably blood exploded. Pressure, I would have yeah. done. Yeah. I would have. Yeah, bet.
1: I I don't know what I would have done. I I mean, um, Minnie said that she she didn't think she'd be able to tear herself away from the window, even though the safer thing to do would be to get on the floor, right? <laughs> in case right. of a stray bullet, but right. I, I might. I, I probably would just stand there stunned for yeah. like a minute and then yeah. dive for the floor.
2: <laughs> well, you know, we've actually ha-
1: been in this situation because
2: one one day I came home from work and the DEA and the FBI and the Phoenix PD was at my neighbor's house. Oh my and, God. And, um, old, <laughs> Old Whitey, and this is why I think it's it's interesting to hear Minnie say she would have a hard time tearing herself away from the window because that was what my husband was was doing. But my thought was to let's go inside as far away as we can. Yeah, actually, let's get in the car and yeah, with guns and drive to Canada. Exactly. (laughs) Who can ruin our lives or take them without any consequences? So. <laughs> so that it's so it's just fu- funny our lived experiences kind yeah. of bring us to the conclusions that we we end up in and and it's just funny because our backgrounds yeah. are it very did,
1: different it, yeah <laughs> <laughs> so the <laughs> owner of the house later said that he he felt fortunate that brown had gone to hide under the swing set instead of coming into his house and yeah mm, yeah, yeah. Yeah, for sure. So once
2: Brown realized that he was not getting away and that there were no milkshakes in this particular yard, he (laughs) shot himself in the head. He injured himself pretty badly, badly enough that police were able to apprehend him, but he did not die from the wounds.
1: Police summoned EMS and Brown was taken to the hospital where he survived coherent, though in critical condition. The next day, Brown was charged with the additional murders. Eugene Jennings' family said they could now find some sense of closure knowing that Brown had been apprehended.
2: on February 26, 2020, Lauren Harrington's mother, Tracy Harrington, said during a news interview that she wanted to know why Brown had been free and allowed to be an informant instead of locked away in prison after multiple probation violations.
1: Good question. Yeah. yeah. While surrounded by five of her son's eight children, Tracy asked, quote, did they know where he was at all times? Did they know who he, who he was associating with? Did they know what he was doing? If they knew all of these things, if he's working for you, why did my son get killed? You come to my house and you tell me why my son was murdered by a man that was working for you. And I'll let it rest. Unquote. Wow. Jots
2: fired. Seriously. That is that's a bar. I mean, uh, and I watched the press conference with the police chief and their answer wasn't a good one.
1: No, It was just like,
2: we didn't really look into it. It wasn't really our fault. It was their fault. Um, A lot of finger pointing, which is useless. Um, So at this time, a federal court spokesman told the Detroit News that despite multiple violations while on federal probation for a 2014 gun arrest, Brown was allowed to remain free at the request of an unnamed federal law enforcement agency. But. US Attorney Matthew Schneider said that he had found no evidence of that. Of course, yeah. he said that. Yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> Bullshit. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. According to Detroit Police Chief James Craig, Brown was an informant for the U.S. Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, and Explosives, or ATF. The same day Brown was released from federal supervision on October 29th, 2019, a Detroit police officer assigned to the DEA task force signed Brown up to be an informant for them on gangs and drugs.
2: That's interesting. Um... Yeah, I, again, I'm just looking at the dates, 2019. And by then we'd known the war on drugs wasn't an effective war Yeah. Um, on gangs or drugs. And the Detroit police chief, you know, I wonder, too, if um, it had something to do with the way the police had been portrayed in the media at this time, especially in the Midwest. I mean, this wasn't long after Michael Brown was murdered. Oh, right. Um, and, you know, wanting a win. Yeah. And if we can get an informant, maybe it'll help us get more wins. I yeah. don't know. Yeah. Uh, so when the ATF that handed off Brown to the Detroit DEA task force on October 29th, they never mentioned his repeated probation violations. Oopsies. <laughs> Let that out of the memo. And the officer who signed Brown up did not know about his past crimes while under federal supervision. That uh-huh. is such bullshit. Yeah. They know everything about all of us. (laughs) How do they not know that?
1: (laughs) According to Craig, Brown was paid $150 after he told police he had information about drug activity involving a Southwest Detroit gang. His information didn't pan out. And Craig said that that was the only time Brown was used by the task force as an informant. And Mm. when the department learned he was a suspect in the two homicides in River Rouge, they deactivated him as an informant. Wow.
2: For some reason, I thought the money was better for informants. They just just paid him
1: $150. That was for one tip, and Mm -hmm. it didn't pan out. Yeah. (laughs) So it was pointless. It was completely pointless.
2: Yeah. And I I wonder if he, too, saw that the writing was on the wall. Like, oh, man, it didn't work. Mm-hmm. Could be. Anyway, so Craig said that when you look at his crimes, they all have a connection to money, drugs or both. Quote, it was clear he had a significant drug problem. He spiraled out of control and began to use violence, unquote. Craig also said he had a conversation with U.S. attorney Matthew Schneider, and they both agreed to take a deeper look at what happened in this case. Wow. You know know what? And they only did so. I really don't think they would have done so. Had it took not a been a deeper
1: look for five minutes, and then, uh, then for
2: five minutes, but they wouldn't have they wouldn't have taken any look if he had not been connected to law enforcement
1: as yeah, an informant. Yeah, remember all the
2: victims were right. black, right. so it would it would have been really easy it, for them. If to that just,
1: embarrassing situation yeah. hadn't cropped up, then oh, they yeah. probably would not have taken any look at it. Yeah. Oh yeah, you get it. Yep. <laughs> Schneider released a statement on February 26, 2020, saying, quote, This is a horrible tragedy. We are going to do everything in our power to get to the bottom of this matter. Ken Brown was a law enforcement informant for a period of time, and we have been and currently are working closely with our law enforcement partners to determine exactly what happened. It is our obligation to act as transparently as we can in a responsible manner by obtaining the facts the family of the victims deserve nothing less. Unquote. Why do I feel but, like smoke is being blown up my ass?
2: It is. I thought you were going <laughs> to It is very, very um, <laughs> you're <laughs> you're right. Ding, ding, ding. I can't think of anything else to say. Ding, ding, ding. All ding, the smoke is up. Ding. It's up all of our asses. <laughs> uh, so, <laughs> do you feel that? <laughs> <laughs> they say you're not supposed to blow into microphones, but th- this is so appropriate. <laughs> so, um, but Keith Corbett, a former federal prosecutor who dealt with informants as chief, of the Organized Crime and Racketeering Unit for the U.S. Attorney's Office for 20 years said he is skeptical that police didn't know about Brown's repeated probation violations. Thank you. <laughs> we all feel the same way, yeah. Mr.
1: Corbett. Yeah. <laughs> Corbett said, quote, when you're dealing with informants, you're not dealing with choir boys. They had to know that he was involved in a lot of criminal activity in order to have any reason to expect that he would be a decent informant, unquote. Mm-hmm. Adding that... Mm-hmm. And that is, parole violations should not have been difficult to spot.
2: I know. (laughs) I'm sure it's at a computer somewhere. This is 2019. So Corbett, who is now a criminal defense attorney, all right, Mr. Corbett, said that when he first heard about Brown's alleged killing spree, he felt that someone failed to properly monitor him. Thank you, failure of the system. That informants are supposed to be monitored by agencies that use them, and it appears that it wasn't being done in this
1: case. Thank you. This guy needs to run for president. Where is Corbett? (laughs) Corbett explained that when law enforcement wants to use an ex-convict as an informant, they sometimes seek to have them discharged from supervised release so that they can use them in criminal situations to bust others. Because when someone's on probation or supervised release, they are not allowed to have any contact with other known felons or engage in any criminal activity.
2: But when a judge removes them from federal custody and ends probation terms, the informant is free to work with law enforcement and engage in activities with criminals that would otherwise be forbidden, such as undercover
1: drug buys.
2: Whoa.
1: Corbett said that's what likely happened in Brown's case. Law enforcement wanted to use him in ways that the terms of his probation didn't allow, so they, quote, got him off the books, unquote. But he added, "quote I don't think anyone had a real expectation that he was going to go off the rails like this." Unquote, and that's probably true.
2: Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. But you all are still playing with people's lives. Yeah. (laughs) And it is not good. Fucked up. Uh huh. So when she learned of the situation, Dorian Patterson's fiance. Precious Moore said, quote, someone needs to be held accountable for this. They kept this guy out of prison because he was an informant. Six people had to die so police could get a couple drug dealers off the street. Unquote. Thank you. Wow. Bars, these yeah. people, these are just truth bombs. Yeah, <laughs> they are. Yeah. I can't, like, uh, episode done. Stopping the recording.
1: <laughs> Kimberly Green's daughter, Brianna Green, also questioned why Brown wasn't kept in prison. Quote, What happened is a clear injustice, and my mother deserves justice. We believe the system needs to answer for this. Why was this man allowed to be free? Unquote.
2: Well, uh, we are all wondering the same thing.
1: But now we're gonna get into where are they now? Brown ended up succumbing to his self inflicted wounds while in the hospital on february twenty eighth, twenty twenty. I guess you could say that there were actually seven murders, the last one being himself.
2: Um, no, you can't. <laughs> 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 i don't think so <laughs> not not uh, to say
1: not the same thing but nah, still another nah, another life taken
2: nah i'm gonna say that's a not for me dog
1: okay okay uh,
2: <laughs> but um now we're gonna get into what we think made him snap and our takeaway so this is from minnie doing drugs <laughs> <laughs> so so Minnie Minnie goes on to say, "I don't think this guy was a sociopath or a narcissist because I don't think that kind of person would kill themselves." Though I defer to the superior knowledge of the OG of true crime, if I'm wrong about that. Uh, And I think he was just a lifelong drug addict, starting drugs at a pretty young age. Like you will always say, though this is an explanation, it is not an excuse. His drug addiction doesn't excuse him from what he did, but he clearly needed treatment and didn't get it. In my opinion, this whole thing might have been prevented with some early intervention, rehab therapy, not prison. And that's for many couldn't agree more hip-hop air horns for minnie actually how about this
3: another one
2: thank you minnie
1: I, I totally agree with Minnie. Yeah. And uh, it's disgusting that instead mm-hmm. of getting this guy some help for his drug addiction, they exploited his addiction and yeah. tried to use him as an informant. Yeah. Clearly, they didn't see him as a human being. And mm-hmm. to what end? As mm-hmm. Precious Moore said, six people had to die so the police six. could get a couple of drug dealers off the street, which six. they didn't even do. Right. Yeah. I think it's probably typical of our, quote unquote, justice system, mm-hmm. unfortunately. Um, yeah, our this,
2: criminal legal system, as some call it now, because it's not yeah. really a justice system. No,
1: it's not. You're you're right. Criminal legal system. Um, I agree with many. This whole thing could have been avoided had he gotten some help early on, like mm-hmm. way early on yeah. when he first <laughs> yeah. started doing drugs yeah. as a child. I think yeah. he just got to a point where he just didn't give a fuck about anything anymore. Yeah, so.
2: I yeah, I think I I agree with you and many. Um, yeah. I think his work as an informant and and the drugs did it and they yeah. used him. They used him up. And my understanding is, about informants is they are paid. But the, that money comes from p- taxpayers. And there was a failure by the police who retained him to look into his criminal history, which, you know, six people are dead. And for what? Um, And being an informant, I I listened to a podcast um, talking about Kenyon Brown. um, And it was by men who had been in the system in federal Mm -hmm. prison. And they talked about how it can be really stressful to be an informant and the fear of getting found out. um, Yeah. The pressure of also having to give um, law enforcement the tips. What they want. What they want. And so being under all that pressure, I think also might have contributed to his drug use, getting out of getting out of control.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
2: And contributed to his state of mind being so poor and and making these horrible decisions. Agreed. Oh, right. Well, now it's time to talk about how not to get murdered so if you love true crime and you don't want to
1: die here's a tip for you This segment is not intended to be victim blaming. We thought of this segment because I read somewhere that a lot of people listen to true crime because they want to know what they can do to be safer. This is not meant to blame the victims. It's just learning from other people's experiences. Oh, no. The tip we bag got, is empty. It's, it's empty. It's empty well, again. You guys <laughs> need to send us in some tips. Send us in some
2: tips, y'all. Um, You can send them to at Fruit Loops Pod anywhere on social media or Fruit Loops Pod at gmail.com or 602-935-6294. Okay, that's that. Uh, Now it's shout out time where we shout out any content by or about any people of color, LGBTQ folks or any marginalized people and or any true crime goodies. So I have two things. Okay. So there's a lot going on in Iran. And mm-hmm. I earned an interview today with Moj Madara. And you can follow her on Instagram at, at Moj, M O J. And she's an Iranian woman and activist. And she has a link. Um, on her link tree. And uh, it, there's this living document called How to Talk About Iran. And it has updates on, on people arrested, updates on activists, updates oh, wow. on who to follow, updates on how to support, updates on what's really going on. Wow. And I just found it really, really um, useful and helpful. You know, we all want to be good global citizens. Yeah. Um, so if you don't know where to start, I would say start with her. And I also wanted to shout out because we are recording this the week of Indigenous Peoples Day, a podcast I listen to is American Prestige. And um, they had uh, an episode today titled This Land is Their Land with David Hmm. Silverman, who is a professor of Native American, colonial American, and American racial history at George Washington University. And this guy knows his stuff. I think he's white, but man, oh man, he could get it because he is (laughs) so... um, Um, he just, he laid it all out. This country, you cannot talk about our successes without our horrors, including genocide of Indigenous people and how traumatic this time of year can be for our
1: Indigenous yeah. fam. So uh, check that episode out. What do you got? Awesome. Uh, well, I'm late to the party, but this week I listened to Lolita podcast.
2: Oh! gosh have you (laughs) listened to it I haven't
1: but I'm a big fan
2: of Jamie Loftus
1: yeah yeah so Jamie Loftus analyzes the book Lolita by uh, Vladimir Nabokov it's misinterpretations and how Mm -hmm. it's been treated in popular culture so um have you read Lolita before no um I thought uh, I uh, the only Lolita I know is the
2: Lolita Express which is Jeffrey Epstein's Um, predatory plane
1: gross Um, gross. did you that's so gross yeah Yeah, i I did i did (laughs) read lolita and i and i um i really like it um people people always think so one of the misinterpretations people think it's about a sexy girl who uh seduces an older man it's not that's not the story at all the story no the story is about a pedophile basically and it's, it's from his <laughs> point of view and he's a unreliable narrator so he's telling the story oh. and lolita is 12 what her name her name isn't even lolita it's dolores and what? but he he calls her lolita yeah
2: Ew! oh so, my god <laughs> I had no idea. Oh I my know. God.
1: Yeah. <laughs> oh, Jesus. So she goes into like deep dives about uh how women are treated and uh how black women are treated, um, like the sexualization and stuff like that. And oh, it's wow. really good. Yeah. Oh,
2: wow. Yeah, no, she's, she's an amazing writer, an amazing comedian. And um, I just appreciate her every time she pops up on one of my favorite podcasts. <laughs>
1: Behind, yeah, Behind the Bastards. She's on that a lot. And uh-huh. uh, yeah, uh, I when I started listening to it, I didn't even know that it was her. I was it just when I that popped up in my feed. So I started listening. And I was like, I know this voice. And yes. when she said her name was Jamie Loftus. I was like, that's the lady on behind
2: the bastards. <laughs> yes, and uh, mm. so she did a podcast. She has all these limited series. One of them, my year in Mensa, and when she 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 got into Mensa because she's right. super smart, and she um, was in Phoenix, and I saw her downtown. Oh my god! Are <laughs> you the serious? Mensa, like yeah, the Mensa like get to know convention, <laughs> convention or celebration. I don't know what the, those the people Mensa, do. Uh,
1: yeah. Uh, Clap each other on the back and yeah, say yeah. Congratulations. So I, I wanted uh, to like
2: shout her name. We were doing Fruit Loops at the time, like Jamie, I love you. But um, I didn't. Instead, I messaged her on Instagram. She uh-huh. didn't reply. But uh-huh. anyway,
1: yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right on so anyway uh, that's it that's all I got this week okay that is a really great
2: recommendation I had no idea I'm horrified and I'm going to listen uh, to to this Lolita podcast I I I binged it
1: like I think there's like 10 episodes okay and it's it's a limited series so there's like 10 episodes and I binged it I totally binged it it's really good
2: oh man I can't wait (laughs) so (laughs) that That is um, follow Moj Madara at MOJ on Instagram for more information about what's going on in Iran and what we can what you can do to help American Prestige episode 72. Specifically, this land is their land. Not ours. <laughs> uh, if wherever you get your podcasts, and also the Lolita podcast by Jamie Loftus, and uh, Lolita podcast can be found wherever you get your podcasts, and uh, she has a ton of other works that you should check out as well. So that's <laughs> <God damn. laughs> I'm like, what's next? Oh, what's next? Oh, the end the is end. next. All right, Beth. <laughs> tell the people where to find us.
1: Our website is fruitloopspod.com and we use Fruit Loops Pod for all of our social media. Join our discussion group on Facebook at Fruit Loops Pod Discussion. If you want to support the show, you can send us a donation on the Cash App. Just Google Fruit Loops Pod Cash App or you can become a monthly patron through Patreon. As always, we have merch for sale on our website
2: that's right now this is a weekly podcast and new episodes drop every thursday so until next time look alive y'all it's
3: crazy out there